Hello, and welcome to the Love Stella podcast, where we have conversations to stimulate your mind and feed your soul. This is your host, Stella Shante, and I thank you so much for listening. Hello, and welcome back to the Love Stella podcast. Today, we have our dear Dr. Duru taking over. Um, The spirit of takeover is something that she knows very well. We love her for it, but it's okay. Um, And she's going to kind of be turning the tables and interviewing yours truly. So, Dr. Duru, over to you. Hello. So, yes. Um, Let me start by introducing myself. My name is Chioma and... I am a doctor, yes. (laughs) I'm one of Stella's, I like to think I'm one of Stella's oldest friends. Um, And recently I challenged her on a very sensitive matter. And she obliged me because you don't really have a choice with me sometimes. (laughs) Anyway, today I have asked Stella and she has kindly agreed to talk to us about what is probably a life-changing event that um, I don't think she has shared much about ever and I'm hoping that this conversation can be helpful to somebody out there because I think it's a very important conversation to have. So let's get right into it. A few years ago, Stella told me that she had been diagnosed with something and I'm going to let her tell us what her diagnosis was. So Stella, what is it you were diagnosed with? Okay, thank you very much. Yes, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. That's the short answer. Um, I found this out um, on the day of the naming ceremony of my second daughter. So it was very, very wild. Um, I, my children are very um, close in age and this day was a great day because they slept at the same time with not a lot of drama. (laughs) So they were sleeping. I was um, resting, not really sleeping yet. And I got a call from my, my um, uh, obstetrician. And the birth of um, my second daughter was a very, um, it was a very emotional birth. Um, I was completely alone. This was high COVID time, you know, completely alone. Um, it was basically a natural birth. Um, because you know, obviously I'm talking to a physician. By the time they did the epidural, it was late in the game. So it didn't take. Um, So I remember during the contractions, I was just, there was nothing to do for the pain. So I just cried. I was just crying. I just, okay, let me just, ah, it's just me. Yes. So, at the end of the day, doctor came and uh, she was very, you know, she didn't really understand my emotional state. I was just like, yo, let's just go ahead and get this show on the road. Push, push, push. Baby's born. Wah. Strongest lungs in the world. 
so strong. It was so great. But um, after the doctor was like, okay, I'm seeing something. I think it was something, I don't know exactly what she was saying. So I'm seeing something, it's looking kind of weird. Let's just take a look, take a little piece, send it off for biopsy. No, or send it off to check it. No, you know, no big deal at the time. Seven days later, she called and asked, are you alone? Is anybody there with the kids? I'm like, girl, no, ain't nobody here. Tell me what you need to tell me. I don't have to, you know, all this trying to be nice, right? I breaking, understand. breaking in, in the profession is called breaking bad news. So you have to be delicate with it. I understand, but I was like, cut to the chase. And then she was telling me that, yes, um, it came back for, it came back positive for cancer. Um, this is the name of an oncologist that we're referring you to. You need to call her as soon as possible. Um, these cancers tend to progress very quickly. And I was like, yo, 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 like. Hold on. Why? So, <laughs> so after she got off the phone, she was like, yes, I'm very sorry to hear this. Um, please, I'm very sorry to tell you this, but we got to get things moving. Call this doctor. Let's get things moving and let me know if you have any, um, you know, any challenges getting an appointment. Because if you do, I'll get you another doctor. You know, she was like, just, we need to get this done. Mm -hmm. So after that phone call, I, I cried for a while and then the girls woke up. So I had to, you know, wipe these tears. Where's lunch? You know, um, I called my husband in Lagos and they were doing regular naming ceremony things in our abstention. You know, there was family or food. I was like, okay, I can't tell anybody anything today. Let's just have the naming ceremony. Let everybody have a nice, happy day. And then that was it. And then I think the next day I, um, I think that, no, yeah, the next day I actually summoned the courage to call the physician first and try to schedule the appointment and when I said the words, I need to schedule an appointment about cancer, I was like, oh God, like what the, what in the hell? That was very, very difficult. Um, and it's obvious that if you work in a, in a, in a, in a, at a place like that, I was, I was treated with, by Texas Oncology. If you work at Texas Oncology, I'm sure they have training on you know, how to deal with patients in an emotional state. And it shows, you know, because every time I dealt with anybody from the from the office, it was very, um, very respectful, very patient. So it was great. And I guess the rest is history. Yeah, I'll stop there for now. Okay, so I have a few, a few more questions about that. So cervical cancer, yes. Did they tell you at the time, what stage was it at the time it was discovered? Uh, okay, yeah, I mean, by the time I, I, um, I mean, I had to go to my oncologist for that. Um, um, Dr. Ward was very, um, I think I saw her the next week. Um, they did more tests. Um, it's kind of all like, like a blur, um, did some blood, you know, did an exam and all that fun stuff. And yeah, they, it was stage one, but the grade was quite high. I, I remember this, I probably should have looked this up before it's, it's somewhere in my medical, it's in my medical records, but yeah, it was stage one, but the grade was very high. 
um, and there was something else that um, there was a specific something that was growing. And at one exam, it was one size and then the next exam, it had grown larger. So that um, actually was an input to the fact that uh, into my treatment that was more aggressive than what they had told me um, mm -hmm. at the so yeah, stage one, grade, probably three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So do you remember how old you were when this diagnosis was given to you? Five, 35, 35, yeah, something like that. And prior to that, what, 36. What, 36. What, what did you, had you been doing your smear tests or... Did you know, how aware were you about cervical cancer? Very aware about cervical cancer. Um, it's, I'm not, cervical cancer is, is, I think one of the most preventable cancers, especially gynecologically. Um, I actually got an HPV vaccine when I was 14 years old. Um, so it was just, it was wild. Um, the last time I had gotten a pap smear was probably when I was around 30, 31, 32. I can't really remember. Cause you know, I moved to Nigeria. Um, I did not have a physician in Nigeria. Um, I had a prenatal, um, I started prenatals before I left Lagos. Um, but that physician was a male physician cause I could not find any women obstetricians I don't I think I even asked you at that time yeah, I remember um and that physician was very interested in kind of being very laissez-faire ah but now we don't need to do all these things are you okay how are you feeling you know <laughs> so he and he was reticent to give me a pap smear but he brought it up this is at the birth of Sarai this is for Sarai he brought it up. He was like, yeah, this is in the normal protocol to do a pap smear at the beginning, I guess, for prenatals. I don't, but he, he didn't want to be doing all that. He just wanted to ask if I was feeling okay, give me prenatal vitamins. He did my blood and then that was it. So it had been a couple of years since I had um, done my last pap smear, because like I said, living in Nigeria, you know, bachelorette life, coming to the States, I would come to the States to shop and catch up with family of course that was a time for me to do my quote-unquote medicals as well but I didn't do that because I felt like I'm young and free what am I medicalizing yeah, and you know that's something I really I really think is important to highlight yeah if you, actually a few things I think are important to highlight there's the fact that you had the vaccine so there's that just to let us know that even when you have a vaccine, you still can't be too careful. Yes. And the fact that you had that gap in getting your smear tests, while it's, I mean, I'm here, I'm a doctor, and I'm sure I'm somewhat overdue on my next smear, which is terrible, yeah. by yeah. the way. But for you, at least, you had the whole thing of being pregnant with one child, and yeah. then doing the whole taking care of a toddler to a smear test would probably not be high on your priority list. And also we have this delusions of youth where it's like, I'm too young for this. There's no way cancer is about to catch me. And the other thing was, at least for me, it, I think it was such a, 
blessing that despite everything that was going on, and this is because I know you personally, that despite everything that was going on, you still were able to leave Nigeria to go have Sarai in the US because I know that there's a very high probability that if you had if you had, had your baby in Nigeria, we wouldn't be having the same conversation. So no. I, I am eternally grateful that <sighs> we dragged ourselves to the US. Ourselves, yes. <laughs> the units. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um it's it's wild. And the funny thing is when I got my diagnosis and they were, you know, doing the workup, trying to make sure that they really, really pinpoint the, the, the stage and the grade and figure out the treatment plan. Nobody was asking all those questions in the bit at the how, you know. No, it's okay, it's here. What are yeah. we going to do? Yeah, and but I think now in retrospect, it's really important to, um, the how will never be complete, right? Because there are always other reasons, right? But yeah. those two key, those two key things that you highlighted in terms of me actually having the vaccine and then not having a, a pap smear for a while are, are very, very key. And I think that especially the pap smear, I think that that's very, very important because I know there's a lot of young women like myself that probably, just like you said, it's not in a, it's, it's not a, it's not a high priority. We check our health seriously. We feel like we're responsible people. Um, and life just starts lifing and then yeah. you find yourself, um, just always on go, always on go. And it's just important to really just take your time, take time out for yourself, understand what's happening with you medically at all ages. It's not at 40, you now wake up and say, oh yeah, this is the age I'm supposed to start getting a, a mammogram. No, it's other things that happen other than just other than breast cancer, definitely. So it's just important to keep ourselves safe and ward off all that drama, hopefully. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. Now, you got this diagnosis right after you had your second child. Yes. And your first child was a toddler as well at the time, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So what was it like for you juggling all of this while trying to be the best mom of two very young children. Yeah, it was very, very difficult. It was very, very difficult. It was something that was, um, yeah, it was a very, very dark time um, because um, I had my second daughter in June of 2020. That whole 2020 was pretty dark for me. I found that I was, um, I wasn't really at my best. Um, and so this diagnosis piled on top of everything was just like everything was crashing down on me. I cried a lot um, and I wasn't even really able to completely open up to a lot of my closest friends. You know, I didn't even tell you until a really long time afterwards. I wasn't really able to open up because the more you tell people, the more real it is, right? It's different when it's just me talking to my doctors, trying to figure out something, coming back on Instagram, you know, putting a picture, you know, sharing some lovely mental health epithet. But, 
but um, yeah, the more you tell people, the more real it is. And I am a very, um, I, I spoke um, with Dr. Gigi on my last podcast and she was talking about how we were talking about the whole recovering superwoman syndrome. That's basically how I was. I was like, listen, I got this. I don't need help. I'm straight. At the end of the day, all that is trash. I had to really rely on my community, rely on people that were around physically, virtually. Um, one of my very good friends, um, when I told her, she actually took it upon herself to call me every weekend. And we did like a, like a prayer session. And it was just, you don't really know how loved you really are until you know, shit happens and you gotta like lean on your people. Like, yo, like this is, it's wild. And just like you said, in terms of you being a physician and you, you know, being over, overdue on your pap smear, me being diagnosed with cervical cancer, I feel was, it was embarrassing, number one, because I'm like, yo, I know better. Like, what the fuck? And that, piled on like you said dealing with all dealing with the kids dealing with it was just it was wild it really really was but my people showed up for me and I can't um and then you knew the people that couldn't because you know a lot of times you tell somebody you got cancer they're like yo that's just too much I can't I can't deal with that and that's okay too you know I had to actually understand that yeah it's there's some shit that you tell people that they're not going to be able to deal with. So you respect them where they at. You deal with them on everything else. You don't come to them about, oh, I had chemo and I was feeling so bad that day. You don't give that to them because obviously, no matter how close those people are to you, right? You don't give that. To, you just focus on other things. So it was, um, it was definitely a learning experience. Um, definitely a learning experience. I tried as much as I could to shield my children from my pain. Um, and I think I did a okay job of that. They'll tell me later on in their life, was it? But um, yeah, I, I tried as much as possible. But when mommy couldn't go out to play, they were okay just, and I had a really nice apartment then. It was a one bedroom apartment in Houston, but I had a lot of space. Like I had a really large garage. So days that I didn't have the energy to go outside, they would, they would just play in the garage with their bikes and stuff like that. So things, you know, weren't all, you know, that dark all the time. But yeah, it was hard as hell. I would not wish it on anybody. Like it's, it was difficult. And I think the hardest thing was the fact that I felt like my body was failing me. And so by the fact that it's failing me, it's failing my children because Obviously, chemo, breast, breastfeeding is over with. Like, that's it. Ain't no pump and dump, ain't nothing. What are you, what, what are you pumping in? What, you know, nobody was in the, I don't even think that the, my, my physician even knew how to handle, address that sort of yeah. thing. Like, yo, like, we got bigger fish to fry. Formula is in the grocery store. It's available. So what are we talking about? And that was hard. It was hard. It was hard to know that I wasn't going to, I was like, okay, maybe after I finished with chemo, give it a little time. Maybe I, my milk supply will be, no, my milk supply was like, it was too slow for my, for the baby at that time. It was too slow. 
and I can imagine that on I can imagine just dealing with that disappointment of not being able to fulfill what you feel is your duty as a mother I can't imagine how hard that would have made everything else yeah it was just I, I, I can I imagine that it must have been a lot now my question another question I have is so I'm still low-key mad at you because you didn't tell me and you chose to be doing all of this by yourself for so long but what would you say to anyone who has a friend who is going through something like this and you so again sometimes it's because people don't know what to say or don't know how to help. What would you say is a good place to start? What was helpful for you? What was helpful for me um, would just be to, to show up with your presence in whatever way you feel comfortable with. If you feel like it's, if in whatever way you feel comfortable with and whatever way you had been doing so before. You know, I had, I had, I didn't really tell that many people. Um, so the people that I did tell, they, you know, like I said, with my friend, she had me in her prayers. Um, I also had friends that would just, okay, I know today is your, your day of your surgery. I just want to send some prayers your way. Let me know when you, when you um, are back home or let me know when your surgery is finished. Um, also, um, you know, I'm a big gift person especially people that know what chemo and all that kind of stuff is like, you know, kind of what to expect. So you can send a gift that may help. Um, the first person I called that was a physician was my big sister, Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. She's a maternal fetal medicine specialist, badass physician, like she's awesome. So I was calling her because I was like, I need, I wanna get a second opinion. I was trying to go to uh, MD Anderson and do all this big, she was like, Stella, what? you're wasting your time. Do the surgery and move on with your life. You know, like she really put it to me straight because there was a point where I was like, I don't wanna do the surgery, whatever. Anyway, so she sent me this care package for chemo that had like snacks and had like hand sanitizer. Cause you know, that was high COVID season, hand sanitizer. Um, little knickknacks, lip gloss, you know, a water bottle, you know, just little, little things that, you know, going to chemo is, is work, right? You got to sit on that. I think I was, I was always stressing the nurses. I was like, yo, push this thing. Let me go push, push. <laughs> anyway, but it's hours, you know, you got to sit in there for hours. You can't just go take a pill and leave. It takes a long time. So books, she, she gave me like a Sudoku, um, I'm a big book person, you know, whatever you think that that person will like, you know, give them a little token just to know that chemo sucks. There's nothing, there's no way around it. It sucks. But having a little, a nice book is something to kind of, you know, take the edge off a little bit. That's it. Some little snacks, some little, you know, little, just take little, little snacks to, uh, take the edge off a little bit. I had another friend that, um, I didn't tell her, I don't even remember if I told her that I was, it was actually what, what was going on. I didn't even tell her it was cancer. I just thought I was having surgery. Um, my friend, Vanessa, and she sent food down 
for me and the girl, she just sent a case of rice and not a case of a pan of rice and stuff like that. So different things that you know that, okay, this person is going to be down for the count for a little bit. So things that will make life easier for them. Um, and then just be a, a source to, to listen because there was a lot of venting that I wanted to do, but me being the type A crazy person that I was, I didn't even tell people, so I could vent. So it was wild. <laughs> it was wild. I don't mind me. I, like I said, it's just, it was a big um, lesson to myself um, in terms of letting people love you. And that's not something I've ever really been good at. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't even think I told my mom until <sighs> very late. Very late. Yeah, yeah Stella. Very weird. <laughs> very weird, Stella. Very weird. Okay, so I want you to tell us a bit more about the treatments because not many people know what kind of treatments are available for something like cervical cancer. So what treatment options were offered to you and what kind of helped you decide what to go with? Um, okay, so in terms of treatment options, they were talked about surgery, talked about chemo, talked about radiation. Um, I understood that the amounts or the types of the chemo and radiation would vary depending on the severity of, you know, of my cancer. And the first thing off top was um, surgery, hysterectomy, straight up, we don't have time to be doing all this, oh, let's just see if we need it later on. And I had looked up the survival cervical cancer with hysterectomy and without. The numbers told me what to do. Simple, let's start there. Okay. Um, there was a point where, I think that this is also something kind of interesting to note. When I went to Texas Oncology, the nurse who was very, very nice, was suggesting, uh, was asking me how I was dealing with things, was asking me if I have a therapist. At that time, I had stopped seeing my therapist. But um, she suggested I join like cervical cancer survival groups and all that kind of stuff. I was like, it's a no for me. I was very reticent to kind of dive too deep into that world because I then felt that I would be dealing with things from an emotional point of view. Because of course, when somebody else tells you their story, you empathize with them, you put yourself in their shoes and you start, oh, okay. And meanwhile, you were just trying to rationalize it away. Yeah, and it's like, no, I can't, let's just, surgery, no surgery, hysterectomy, no hysterectomy. What is a case survival? Five years, 10 years, 15 years. The numbers told me what to do, cut and move. Um, in terms of uh, chemo, I had 10 weeks of chemo. They told me the specific um, medication and the, the, the mix and all that kind of stuff. I looked it up, saw the side effects, horrible side effect profiles. Don't look it up. It's, it's, you're wasting your time. <laughs> horrible. Um, and then radiation. Um, radiation was intense. It was very intense, very, very intense. I think I had to go to radiation every day for, I don't know how many weeks, I think eight, seven, 10 weeks, something, but it was intense. 
it was like yo like I got to know those radiologists like the back of my head hey what's up how you doing how's your family y'all going to see the pumpkins okay like really it was wild that was external radiation and then I had um a couple of rounds of internal radiation. The external radiation was right up the street in Sugarland. I lived in Katy, Texas at the time. External radiation was right up the street in Sugarland. And then I had to do four courses of internal radiation, which was all the way, if, you, if anybody that knows Houston, past NASA, like far. So I did that once a week for four weeks. And the last course of external radiation or internal radiation, I'm sorry, was when I was able to ring the bell. And the nurse, I have, I have pictures of me ringing the bell. I'll share those now. I've kept them for years. And the day that I rang the bell, the nurse was trying to play me. Like, <laughs> hey, you can go. I mean, you're done. You can go. I'm like, girl, no play. Where the bell at? Let's go ahead and get this going because I'm not doing all this. You know what I'm, saying? <laughs> I'm not ringing any bell. <laughs> What are you? Uh, no, girl. No, I'm sorry. I'm so, yeah. I, I'm about to cuss. Don't be. Don't play. I was like, no. Mm -mm. Where the bell at? Let's go ahead and get this popping. Let me note that this stage is over. That symbolism was very important to me. Very, very important to me. My grandmother had um, was diagnosed with breast cancer. I forget the exact year, and I remember the day that she rang the bell. So it's like, we're fighters. I come from a family of fighters and we need to, I want to, you know, have a button in that period in my life that, yeah, I fought, I'm, a, I'm coming out on the other side. So don't worry, sorry. Okay, Stella. <laughs> so what has it been like since then? Have you had to have, what kind of follow-up have you had to have and, Yes, so kind of treatments, any further treatments, any further medical problems following that? Um, the follow-up has been, has been, um, it's been interesting. I think that, um, so my follow-up is every three months, but I think now I'm at the stage where I'm at every six months because it's been almost two years. And, Every time I feel as though I'm, it's, it's just, you know, another medical condition that I'm managing, it kind of hits me in the head that it's still serious. The last time I went to my uh, appointment, I, I remember I told you it was around September 19th, I believe. It that it had dawned on me that I had been going to the same physician for a year in the same building. And every single time I got to the building, I was confused. Every single time. Choma, this building is four stories. One, two, three, four. I'm somebody that has traveled all over the world, navigated so many different airports. Every single time I was like, okay, where does doctor at? What's the number? Hold on, hold on, hold on. What's the suite? So I think that I just get come like, I, I get very discombobulated. I start to really get very, very anxious every single time I go to the doctor, every time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would love to say that it's, it's, it's peaches and cream, but it's not. It's, um, 
is something that gives me a little bit of anxiety every single time, sometimes worse than others. A lot of times what I do is I, I like to schedule a little bit of self-care after the physician, after I see the doctor. Um, something light, right? Take myself to lunch or maybe that's when I'll do my pedicure, you know, something, something light because in as much as my, I've been, I've been clear, you know, cancer free, it still puts me in that very anxious space. So it's, it's not, it's not easy. I can't, I can't wait to have it behind me and be focused on other things, honestly. You know, I was just thinking when you mentioned all the treatment you had, because that's intense. I mean, having to do radiation every day for how many weeks? That's a lot of, that's a lot of radiation. And it makes me think that if that was stage one, then what if it was higher, if you had to do all that? Other thing that came to mind was in, in, thinking about the surgery you said a hysterectomy now for who people who anyone who is not aware a hysterectomy is basically taking out your uterus i.e your womb i.e you can't have children anymore and what was that like for you mentally and emotionally what kind of how did it make you feel did you, was that a consideration for you? How has that, how does that feel now? Um, it was, um, it was difficult um, because I wanted more children. Um, I wanted more children, I did. So it was a decision that was, I thought necessary, but um, still very emotional. I sometimes, I still get emotional till today. Sometimes when I see children, when I see babies specifically. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I can't say it's something that I've really been able to sit with because when I really think about it a lot, I then look at my children and realize how grateful I am. And also, you know, think about the fact that not having it would have been selfish. And I may have been, you know, robbing them of a mother that can love them, raise them, make sure that they have, you know, healthy, safe, prosperous future. And, you know, when you juxtapose it like that, it's an easy decision. Yeah, but, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, but it's still, you know, I wanted more children, at least one. Little, little baby boy, little baby. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Somebody for a sunrise terrorize. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah. look, I mean, I'm glad I have my goddaughters. That's all. Exactly. Exactly. I think that, um, <sighs> yeah, it's not easy though. <clears throat> I still have, I, it wasn't, it was, yeah, I, I still have, I still have my ovaries. That's something. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's but it, um, I did, like I said, I didn't join any groups because I was like, listen, I'm not trying to wear cancer on my head, on my chest and all that. Listen, let's just, let's just chill. But I did, um, when I was 
at Texas Oncology, I did read a couple of stories and, you know, I, I realized there are so many women that have this diagnosis and have not been able and were not, you know, did, did not have any kids. And so you then are like, yo, like Stells, lead with gratefulness, focus on that. And then, you know, just, just move on with that fact. Yeah. What do you think it was that kept you from joining groups? What, what is it? How do you feel about them that makes you think that it's not for you? I think that there was a there's a level of vulnerability with sharing your story with absolute strangers that I, I didn't have yet. I wasn't able to share it with my friends. So I'm gonna share it with Sarah now. Come on, let's just understand that everything is in stages everybody is not everything is not for everybody I think if I had it to do over again um I don't I, I don't think I would have put it on front street um because I think during this time we finally uh we learned about Chadwick Bozeman and the fact that he he died and nobody knew of his diagnosis and everybody was damn near angry that oh how come we didn't know why come on now why would it's difficult. It's difficult to wear such a serious vulnerability on your sleeve because the reactions are across the board. And a lot of times, who needs it? Who wants to be dealing? It's just too much. It's just too much. It's just, it's just too much. Um, support groups are, are great. I probably would join one now. I think that I have grown leaps and bounds leaps and bounds in terms of my vulnerability definitely join one now but I think that during that time it was just um I was dealing with a lot of things very intensely and I felt like I was doing it alone and it, I don't think that it was just for me at that time um so but yeah I I probably would now but uh, yeah, the people, the people at Texas on college. So mm -hmm. in, in wrapping up, having gone through such a significant life event, how would you say that has impacted how you live now? What are the, what are the lessons? What are the after effects on your life now? Um, I th it's impacted how I live now in so many different ways. Um, so uh, I think that um, I take things for granted less, number one. Um, what, whatever you want to do and whatever you don't want to do, do it or don't do it, whatever applies. Um, because this life, um, it waits for nobody. And at the, at the moment that you least expect it, everything could change and you wouldn't want to have regrets on this or that or oh, I wish I could have did this or I wish I yeah that's number one um number two is um really leading with gratitude um because at the moments where you feel like everything around you was dark gray dreary there's something to be thankful for somewhere you know, there's always something, something. There's like, uh, yeah, there's always something, you know? 
So find whatever that is to be, whatever that is, be grateful for it, for it, and then kind of build, build um, layers of happiness from there. Um, you're not going to always be able to predict what's going to happen the next day, the next hour. You're never going to be, you know, you may not always be able to predict how you'll feel. Um, shit will go wrong, but it's just on you to understand that it goes wrong, find ways and take steps to fix it, you know? Um, yeah, that's another thing that I would say. It's, it, it was just such a soul searching experience. And I think it really um, kickstarted my journey into self even more because once you feel like you're looking, you know, death square in the face, it's like, what the in fuck? In the face. Yeah. You like really, what's left? And you really understand how much about yourself that you don't know like I think that Stells pre-2020 was a very surface kind of Stells, but I mean, cervical cancer, stage one, grade, I don't even remember, is not a death sentence, but it felt like it when I got that call from the doctor, like for real. And there were other points in the journey that also felt very, 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 very low, specifically surgery. I'd never really been through surgery ever. I never had a surgery. And a hysterectomy is a major surgery. Huge. I'm talking major. And there were points after that surgery, I was like, fuck, are you joking? Like it, it, it gets, it gets really dark. It really, really does. But I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, gratitude, you got to keep fighting. Every time I did a, did a weight, every time I, 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 they, they took my weight at the, at Texas oncology, the lady was like, Oh yeah, let's see how, I don't know. She made some little stupid little joke. That was one time I was like, yeah, you're being insensitive. I need to, I need to check you. She made some little stupid little joke. And I was like, no, I'm like a biter. I'm like a fighter. You know, this is like a prize fight. I'm weighing in. This is the fight of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Take my weight. Let's, let's, he's like, Oh, I've never heard of that before. Yeah. You ain't heard it. You hearing it today like all these little stupid little jokes no miss me with it don't really have the time um so yeah I'm going off on a tangent but I think that to wrap it all up it would be don't take life for granted be grateful whatever you want to do do it whatever you don't want to do don't do it um and life is generous life is really really generous but you just have to make sure that you don't take any of it for granted <sighs> yeah i didn't have said it better myself yeah. Yeah, man, you know. we know we know <laughs> well look stella i am very grateful that you have given me the opportunity to talk to you about this and hopefully uh this helps somebody out there who is going through something similar to just know that it can get better yeah and it's okay it's okay to lean on your community it's okay to ask for help people will surprise yes. you for good and for bad yes. or you will be surprised yes. you might actually be surprised 
how much good there will be. So yeah, definitely reach out. All right then. Hopefully, uh, I will now let Stella <laughs> take back her show. See you sometime now. Thank you. Thanks, Shoma. It was. It's been very um. It's been very good having this discussion. Um, I was a bit anxious about it before. I'm not even gonna hold you. I was very, very anxious about it. But um, feel like, I feel like people need to know vulnerability is something that I'm working on. So here we let's, are. Let's, Doing yeah, the work. Let's, watch, let's kick it on up. Mm -hmm. Bye. I'm signing <laughs> out. <laughs> I'm signing out. Bye. All right, this is Stella, the newly elected president of Vulnerability International. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. It, it was definitely much easier um, sharing this with a very good friend. Thank you so much, Choma, for um, really encouraging me in a, in a compassionate way to share this story. Um, so I guess just in closing, there's a book that I'm currently finishing reading. It is called Alchemy of the Heart by Elizabeth Clare Prophet. And it, it's basically a, a primer in how to give and receive more love, which is something that I definitely am challenging myself to do um, lately. There's a quote, um, I think this is almost halfway through the book um, by Rumi that really jumps out to me. And it says, um, listen to me for one moment, quit being sad and hear blessings dropping their blossoms all around you by God. This is a quote that was actually said by Rumi, and um, it really <clears throat> kind of really sums up how to one way to really get through, you know, really challenging periods in your life. And it's, it's definitely something that I put on my screensaver from time to time just to put me in that mindset. Um, so thanks for listening. Um, one of the reasons why, another reason why I didn't really join uh, the support groups, as I said in the episode, was that I didn't really want people to be feeling sorry for me, feeling bad for me. And the whole pity party aspect was not, was something that I was rejecting vehemently and I'm still rejecting it now. But in the interest of just transparency and vulnerability, uh, that's kind of where I'm standing right now. So. Um, my story is one of survival. Um, it's one of gratitude and it's one of tremendous blessings. A lot of times you hear all these um, people on the internet talking about, oh, um, think about how the life that you have now is something that you've prayed for. And in a lot of ways, I, I, I really resonate with, with that fact. So I'm really, really blessed and I'm really, really thankful. And the key takeaway from all of this is just love. Number one, love yourself. Love your body. Make sure that you're getting your pap smear on time. Make sure that you're doing your breast exams. Um, love one another. You really never know what anybody else is going through. So just lead with love, lead with kindness, lead with understanding, um, lead with gratitude, um, and lead with love. Thanks again for listening. Love, Stella. <laughs>